Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Now God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. I passed out note cards and dull prison-approved golf pencils, and I gave them the assignment. What is the one thing that you want in life? I received two answers repeatedly. The first one was freedom, which shouldn't sound surprising, right? Like, if you're in prison, who wouldn't want to be out of jail? But how they described and articulated freedom was something that was a little bit exciting and new. What they wanted was freedom from addiction, freedom to dream again, freedom to believe that their life could actually look different. And there I saw their humanity scratched on index cards with chicken scratch writing, hopes and dreams of freedom. Freedom. Now that's a powerful word that comes with many meanings, has so many aspects. We're going to explore some of them this week on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. That little tease of a message comes from Bianca Olthoff, who Gabe will introduce to you later in the show. Bianca spoke of her experience speaking in a women's prison, and as you heard, the women wanted freedom. But not just release from the walls of the prison, but other things that bind them. Addictions, lack of education, lack of resources. And for those things, they often need help from others. It's a place where the church has excelled in the past and can again, but in today's setting requires creativity, using the giftedness God has given each of us, and to have a willingness to get in where it's dirty. And we're going to focus on that on today's show. Now, before Gabe joins us with a talk from this past Springs Q Conference, we want to travel back to a previous Q Conference where Gabe led a panel discussion with Brian Stevenson and Catherine Hoke. If you've been listening to Q Ideas for very long, Brian might be a familiar name to you. He's a widely acclaimed public interest lawyer who has dedicated his career to helping the poor, the incarcerated, and the condemned. He is part of the Equal Justice Initiative. Under his leadership, EJI has won major legal challenges eliminating excessive and unfair sentencing, exonerating innocent people on death row, confronting abuse of the incarcerated and the mentally ill, and aiding children prosecuted as adults. As a matter of fact, recently, Brian succeeded in winning a ban on life imprisonment without parole sentences imposed on children convicted of most crimes in the U.S. His talk, Restoring the Justice System, is one of our most popular Q Talks. It's been featured previously on our show, and you can hear that talk at qideas.org. As important as fighting for legal freedom is, it isn't anywhere near enough to bring true freedom to those who are behind bars. People who are in prison often don't have the skills for when they leave prison to function well in society, or the opportunities to do so. With that as our context, let us go to the panel discussion, and we'll let Gabe introduce Catherine Hoke and how she brought her skills and passions to bear in helping those incarcerated find freedom.
Catherine, some of you may have known, she was at our first queue and sharing a big idea that was just getting started called the Prison Entrepreneurship Program that's gone on and continues to have amazing success at helping those who are in prison start to develop business plans and then go out into the world and start businesses because one of the biggest challenges I know probably both of you have seen and faced is how we can help those who have been incarcerated actually re-enter into society. Um, Catherine over the last couple of years has been working on a new project and has launched Defy Ventures. Catherine, tell us a little bit about Defy Ventures because for you it's, pr it's progressing I think on what you started with the Prison Entrepreneurship um, Program into a whole new vein of supporting those prisoners, loving those prisoners, and helping them know how when they reenter society, they can actually make a difference. Sure. Brian made me all emotional. <laughs> um, so a year and a half ago, I took all the great learning lessons that I had from leading the Prison Entrepreneurship Program. I moved back to New York City and launched Defy Ventures with this idea and dream that we could use life-transforming tools and entrepreneurship to impact, to create a model that would impact every urban community in America. And the name Defy, defying the odds, Defy means to challenge someone or something to something that is deemed impossible. And a lot of people think that what we do is impossible work. And so in a nutshell, what we do is we scour the boroughs of New York City, like the Bronx and Harlem and Queens and Brooklyn, and we seek out the most accomplished former drug dealers and gang leaders that we can possibly find. And they have to show us that they also desire life transformation and that they're sick and tired of living their old criminal lives. And if they do that, we put them through a tough admissions program process. Um, our guys have averaged more than 10 years in prison and 80% of them have committed violent crime. But we put them through a one year long program that involves 50% life transformational stuff, fatherhood training and character development. And the other 50% are tools, hard skills that will help them to earn a living legally and use all their old entrepreneurial skill sets in a way that will help them make money and stay out of prison. So we put them through um, a business plan competition where they're, they're, so they're writing business plans and then they compete in three different business plan competitions with real seed capital and um, it's a very intense competitive process. So, and we launched it, incorporated the program a year and a half ago and launched the class just three months ago. And I can tell you yeah. real quick results. Please. Um, so, in, uh, since incorporating, we've raised $1.3 million and we've done this all through business executives who have our backs. So these are venture capitalists and investment bankers and entrepreneurs and inventors who come and not only shell out cash to equip our guys, but also serve as judges, mentors, and business coaches in our business plan competitions. We've recruited 120 of these executives who serve with us and have donated 1,350 hours, most of which have been in the last 60 days. We've graduated in our pilot program now that has only been, the pilot's only been going for three months, and we've graduated our first 31 guys. And out of these 31 guys, half of them have already launched their companies. They've gone through 250 hours of classroom training. And so half of them have launched their companies, and we have a whole variety of, of companies. And the other half are launching their companies next month, and they are getting their first seed financing of up to $2,500 in our May business plan competition. And then in June, they're all competing in the big stakes competition for up to $100,000 in financing. Hmm. So, great. so far, they're already they're doing pretty awesome. I think... 
For those who don't know um, from Catherine's history, um, before she even started Prison Entrepreneurship Program, she was a venture capitalist. And if you can't see the theme here, she, she came upon this problem of understanding what was happening in the prison system with prisoners and took the skill she had at understanding how venture capitalists look at businesses and look at talent and look at ideas. And she then applied that into an area where most people would have never have thought to apply it, but it's because something that I see in common between you and Brian, you have the ability, you have eyes to see potential. You have eyes to kind of see past what most of society quickly looks over, and you're able to see something there that you really want to call out of people, that you want to bring out that's part of the image of God in them. Um, talk about what you see happen when you look at a prisoner in the eyes and you believe in them in that way. Well, I think you can't help but recognize their humanity. I, I mean, I think this message was actually given to us. Uh, you find it throughout the Gospels, you know. Uh, we, we love the teachings of the Apostle Paul, but we should understand the life of Saul, right? My clients are just in that stage of life. And if we understand that and appreciate that, that same transformation is available. That's why I think Catherine's work is so important. Uh, you know, there are going to be millions of people coming out of jails and prisons in the next uh, 10 years because of our high incarceration rates. What we do with them yeah. is going to shape our future. It shapes not only public safety, but I think it also shapes uh, the relationship between communities of faith and, and people who are struggling. I, I think that the, the ministry, I, I've been ministered to as much as I have ministered to. Well, one of the big challenges of re-entering into our communities, into our churches, and kind of integrating is this, this lack of ability to get a job, right? I mean, most people who have any kind of record just can't get a job. How, how can we work towards um, working against that and helping make it more possible to hire to help these people find good employment? Well, I mean, there are two structural things, and, and, and Catherine is engaged in this work directly. I mean, one of the things that it's, it's amazing how this has changed. We've been pushing uh, employers to not make the first question in a job interview, have you been previously convicted of, of a crime? Because what we find is if you actually make that the last question, uh, people are willing to hire 70% more of ex-offenders than when you ask it the first question. Wow. That during that interview process, that person will actually demonstrate characteristics that makes the employer feel like, you know, I really want this person. Mm. And if they find that out at the end, then they're prepared to take the risk. If they find it out up front, then no one goes past that question. It's something simple like that, and there's a whole bunch of folks trying to make that kind of universal. And then placements and training and the kind of extraordinary stuff that Catherine is doing, that can also make it. You've got a hungry community looking for redemption. Yeah. looking for recovery, looking for a second chance. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for all kinds of people, faith communities and business communities, uh, to reach out. And, Catherine, what are your hopes as you look at the next couple of years with the program? You've got your pilot phase starting to conclude, and, and the program's just getting underway. What is your goals? Because I know you don't dream small. Right. Well, so we are hoping for a major home run here in New York so we can prove it. And we're actually in the process right now of writing a Defy for Dummies replication manual because we really do want to take it nationally starting in 2014. And so we get national support right now, and we're trying to drum up cities and other support so that we're ready then to take the model and bring it to every major urban community and start a Defy franchise everywhere to create That's these great. results. And I think on the question of employment, it's like we can change the system and the laws, and then we have to change the private sector's mentality right. and expose them and their hearts to it so that they'll want to create opportunities for the guys. Well, that's a good example, I think, for all of us who hire and who think about this. That's a simple thing, either with your HR staff or team or in your own 
place of doing this is just to remember something as simple as that. Now, one of the big impacts we know of incarceration are the families. It's the children. It's the wife or the, sp- the spouse, the husband. Um, what are you finding when you take these approaches that you're taking, Catherine, or as you work with these families? Um, what, what is the thing as the church? Where can the church come alongside families where a member might be incarcerated for a brief period of time or maybe a long period of time? What's the best way we can support those families and those children? Well, a lot of times the families feel just as stigmatized as the formerly incarcerated do themselves or the incarcerated. And so just loving the families and not treating them like they're the ones who committed the crime. Or the, There's usually so much shame around this. So embracing it. I don't know if you can create some ministry for it or something like that. Like, I mean, yeah. everyone, we have a family program with Defy and, um, and people like you guys can come to our family picnic on June 2nd. Like we have activities that you can see and then you could maybe replicate some of these activities in your own communities or churches. But we bring our executives and their kids and families with our guys and their kids. So everyone feels like yeah. it's, it's not, it's, they're not separate that way. Right. It's not like this is a separate right. treatment for people out of prison. Yeah. yeah. And I would just say service. I, I, I think um, when we think about service uh, to the people in our, in our churches, when we think about service to the people in our communities, if we can just think about service uh, to the families of people who, who have loved ones incarcerated and just do the same kinds of things, mm-hmm. uh, they have obstacles in getting to the jails and prisons and seeing them, mm-hmm. they begin to believe. I mean, one of the greatest things that I have to deal with is the hopelessness yeah. that I see in the young kids of, of, of my clients. I mean, I've got people tragically thousands of them who believe by the time they're age 13 uh, that they're going to be dead or in prison by the time they're 21 and they don't say that because of something they've made it up they see it in their community Mm -hmm. and so that profound absence of hope has to be approached and directly challenged by the most hopeful people you can find and i can't think of a place where hopeful people reside if it's not the church it's where the hopeful community is supposed to live and thrive and that's what we really need for these families Thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. You just heard Gabe talking with Brian Stevenson and Catherine Hook in a panel discussion called Beyond Incarceration. You can listen to it again or maybe share it with a friend. It's up at qideas.org. Before we continue, let me quickly invite you to be part of this summer's Q&As. It's a series Gabe is doing at QIdeas.org. Gabe is debuting videos from some of the most popular talks from this past spring's Q conference, but he's also having a live discussion with the presenter and interactions with people like you. The first Q&A happened a couple of weeks ago with Duke Kwan. He was talking about not just the responsibility but the calling and opportunity for the church to address racial reparations. It's not as radical as you might think, and although you may have missed the live discussion, you can watch the video and hear the discussion at qideas.org slash summer series. You can also get information about the remaining two Q&As still to come this summer. Now let's continue with this week's Q Ideas as we talk further about freedom for those who are incarcerated. Gabe joins us now to introduce the next talk. For this episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Bianca Olthoff. Bianca's been someone that some of you maybe heard before as just a fiery, just enthusiastic presenter who really loves people well and also loves God's Word. 
I've known Bianca and her husband Matt for many years, and they've been an amazing couple that cares so much about church planning. She's done work with A21 to fight sex trafficking, to help the immigration situation that was happening throughout Europe uh, as refugees fled from the Middle East. She's just rolled up her sleeves, her and Matt, and been so involved in the church. And most recently, she's been very involved specifically with incarcerated women. And so we asked her to come to Q this year and to to share with us really what she's seeing, what she's learning, as she kind of goes on the inside of the bars in a prison and actually works with people who many would have said are cast out, are broken, are are people who who maybe it must feel hard for them to feel grace and be redeemed. And she actually opens our eyes to the amount of grace and joy that people in that setting also can feel. And so it reminded us of, of this question, does God form us in all circumstances? Her talk was called From the Broken Place, and the whole idea here is getting after what does it look like for God to use the things that have been broken in our lives or broken places that we feel like there's no hope, no opportunity for redemption, and to actually see God move. So let's listen in to Bianca Oltoff on From the Broken Place. The first time I went to prison, I swore I would never go back. She looked at me outside of her cell and she said, I want my life to matter. I want to have purpose. Now, before you think I shanked someone with a shiv and served hard time in the pen, let me pop your cue bubble. I was invited to speak to a group of women at a Los Angeles prison at the ripe age of 26 years old. I had just finished graduate school and I was excited to give back to my community, to my hood. But had I known that at that moment, more than 11 million people will spend time incarcerated in prison this year alone, I might have been discouraged. I might have maybe even been dissuaded over the fact that three out of four inmates will be incarcerated yet again. I might have even been discouraged to discover that there are more colleges, there's more prisons and jails and there are universities and colleges. But uneducated and unaware of the audience that I would be speaking to, I was excited to speak to the sea of faces before me. Women with skin color like mine, women with histories like mine, women with crazy names like mine. We looked very similar. But there was something that I put up, a wall, if you will, to keep me safe and secure. These women, I thought, were not like me. But weren't we similar? See, our lives could have very well been the same. I could have been seated in a prison just like them, serving time in a pen just like them. And if statisticians were correct, then that could have been my lot in life. I'm a first-generation American. My father came to this country illegally. I was a recipient of donated clothes and donated food, academically illiterate and obese as a child. I was on track to complete the generational cycles of those living in the concrete jungles of Los Angeles. But our paths separated. We moved out of the hood. I graduated top of my class in high school and went on to college and graduate school on full academic scholarship. I was a Bill Gates Millennium Scholar, and there was something about this that separated our worlds. We were nothing alike. But standing before this sea of uninterested faces, some with tattoos on their neck telling me and my mama where we can go. Y tu mama también. I speak Spanish. I know what you're telling me, okay? 
I was very excited and prepared to give a talk on succeeding and overcoming. Um, by the time the talk was done, as I gave a particular assignment, I passed out note cards and dull prison-approved golf pencils, and I gave them the assignment, what is the one thing that you want in life? I received two answers repeatedly. The first one was freedom, which shouldn't sound surprising, right? Like if you're in prison, who wouldn't want to be out of jail? But the, how they described and articulated freedom was something that was a little bit exciting and new. What they wanted was freedom from addiction, freedom to dream again, freedom to believe that their life could actually look different. And there I saw their humanity scratched on index cards with chicken scratch writing, hopes and dreams of freedom. We ended our time together. And as I was heading out, I saw a woman who had watched our gathering at a distance. A prison guard had come up to me as I was packing up my stuff to leave. And he says, there's a woman that would like to speak to you before you leave. And as I was gathering my stuff, he looked at me and said, she's on her way to death row. She's going to be executed within the next two weeks. When he told me this, I didn't have time to even process this. So when I went up to her and introduced myself, she said, I heard what you said. And I wanted to tell you what I wanted for this moment in my life. She said, I want purpose. I want my life to matter. A guard came over and quickly whisked me away because bed checks were about to start. I stood before an electronically bolted door. It opened up and I walked alone down an echoous, cavernous hallway with no windows and fluorescent lightings above. I came before a bulletproof glass window and I was handed my wallet, my keys, and my phone. And I walked to my car alone, thinking about the simple yet profound concept of what this woman wanted. She wanted her life to matter. It's what we all want, freedom and purpose. This event was so emotional and dare I say scary that I swore I would never go to prison again. Fast forward a few years later, I find myself working for a global anti-human trafficking organization called A21. Uh, I oversaw global communications and the safety of our Orange County office. And while some people like Liam Neeson are called to free people um, and be freedom fighters and bust down brothel doors, I was called to use words to be a freedom writer. Well, that all changed the moment that I flew to Greece to visit one of our field offices. And there in our field offices, I was told that there was a woman who had been trafficked and was in prison, but no one could communicate with her because she only spoke Spanish. I was told that I was the translator to which I said, I watched novelas as a child, but I cannot speak Spanish like this. They immediately took me over to the detention center and I walked into this detention center. I'll never forget the sights and the smells and the, what I had witnessed these men and women were going through who had been trafficked. A girl stood up with mocha color skin like mine and as she came to the gates, I said, hola, me Bianca, nosotros queremos ayudar. Hello, my name is Bianca, we want to help you. And she said, ayúdame, ayúdame, por favor. Years later, I stand before so many people and I'm realizing that these words of help me, help me please, are reminiscent not just of the woman who is living her life on death row, not just of this woman who was incarcerated in Greece, but for many of us who are walking around with walls of imprisonment that we've erected for ourselves, lies and secrets that we keep hidden, eating disorders, credit card debt, porn, other addictions, and our soul is crying out, ayúdame, ayúdame por favor. So what I proffer to you today is will you speak freedom? to those who are emotionally or physically incarcerated. 
The ironic lesson I learned in prison is that day is that freedom begins the moment that you actually believe that you could be set free. When someone speaks to the shred of good within, when someone speaks to the potential laying dormant inside, it has the ability to change lives. I've seen it with my own eyes. The first step to freedom is believing that you can be set free. If you're living a life of freedom and purpose, will you give the keys of freedom to those who are begging for freedom, whether you believe they deserve it or not? Paul the Apostle in Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. If we are free, we have the moral duty and obligation to speak freedom to those who are struggling to break the bonds of oppression in our generation and the next. But how? Not all of us will go into prisons. Not all of us will work in anti-human trafficking organizations. But we all have the ability to look at someone and say, There is potential. God has a plan for you. If you are not dead, then God ain't done. Get back up. There is still reason and purpose for your life. You don't need to be the most educated. You don't need to be the most beautiful. You don't need to be the most influential or affluent. You don't need to be the richest. You don't need to be the prettiest. You need to be the most willing. The most willing to look at the debase of society, the dredges, the overlooked and the undervalued and say, God has a plan for you. Tell them that they have potential. When the death row inmate looked at me and she said, I want my life to matter. I promised her that it would because it did. For it is Jesus who said, when you know the truth, it is the truth that will set you free. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Bianca Oltoff deliver this great nine-minute talk. And we hope every week you'll just continue to tune in and invite people to listen to these moments of just inspiration, kind of a way of, of realigning yourself as you enter into the day or enter into the week. As you think about what is God up to and you're encouraged by all the amazing people he's using, I thought just a couple of the questions and, and statements that Bianca made were really helpful. You know, freedom begins the moment that you actually believe that you could be set free. You know, so many people don't believe it's possible to change, don't believe they could ever experience transformation. They're believing the lie of the enemy, that they're stuck in their circumstances. And I think she's speaking to that. And for any of you listening today where that's what you're feeling, you're feeling bogged down, you're feeling like you've tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed, that what God wants you to know is that you can still be set free. And you have to believe it. And you have to believe in the one who sets people free to truly experience it. So I'm Gabe Lyons, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.